0: listening to the podcast of Recast Church in Madawan, Michigan. Hi, my name is John McGinnis, and we are supported missionaries by you guys. My wife, Johnny, is down here. Two of our kids, uh, JD and Lindy, are down here. We have two other daughters. Well, I'll share more about this a little bit later. Uh, they are married and, and doing their own thing right now, so we'll talk about them a little bit, a little bit later. Um, I wanted to share a little bit. Eventually, today, we're going to end up in Ephesians chapter 4. So you can feel free to turn there if you'd like to, um, or we'll hit it the next, the next uh, time when I get, get up to speak here. But I want to share some statistics, because what we do is we do pastoral theological education uh, around the world. And again, I'll, I'll go into more about what we do later, but, but there's some, some stats that are pretty important. And as we know with all stats, things can be skewed, things can be, depending on how you lead the questions. But I, I came across these in some research. And and I like where these lands, where these these stats kind of kind of land, um, within within uh, 2020 or so. Let me jump over here. Actually, we need to go back a couple slides, if you can. One more, and yeah, there we go. Uh, before 2020, um, so, some stats were pulled up, and uh, they found 2.3 billion billion people around the world claim to be Christians. Now that's going to be. Uh, basically just people who claim it. All stripes, people we may agree with, we may not agree with, people who very, very well are believers and some who may not be. But, but around the world, 2.3 billion people claim Christ uh, and claim to be a Christian. Shouldn't be a surprise that the next highest underneath that is at 1.8 billion is Islam. Um, I've had the opportunity to travel a lot and I don't think there has been a single place I've gone in the world where you don't see Islam have at least some sort of a presence, if not a major foothold. And that continues to grow, especially in regions in the Middle East and in that part of the world. The next group is not really, they don't want to be a group. And it's the 1.2 billion that say they're unaffiliated. These are the people who, um, who claim to be religious or spiritual but they don't want to be nailed down to any particular world religion. They just they maybe believe that there's something out there besides themselves. The, the, the fourth highest here is the 1.1 billion uh, Hindus around the world. I just had the opportunity uh, a couple months ago, a month and a half ago, to go, go to Nepal. And I was at the border of Nepal and, and India we were teaching there, and I really got to see firsthand Hinduism and just the complexity of that system and what they believe and, and what all that, that means. And Hinduism is, is really just an incredible force out there right now when it comes to world religions. And the last one being 500 million Buddhists. 500 million claim to be, to be Buddhists around the world. Again, mostly in the, the Nepal, uh, India, in and that, in that part of the world as well. Now then, in 2020, um, we have another group, uh, it, was the, it was Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, their, their uh, missions wing of that, of that seminary. They did another survey and they updated it just a little bit and they came across the idea that about 2.5 billion claimed to be Christians. They raised it just a little bit. 2.5 billion people claimed to be Christians. Then they took that group and they narrowed it down to uh, 285 million claimed to be evangelicals. And by evangelicals, we mean that they, they, they claim that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived his life. He died uh, on the cross for your sins rose, and rose, rose again for your sins. Now, even within the evangelical word there, we may see a variety that we would agree with or not agree with um, on many areas. But taking that number, uh, 285 million people or million Uh, people who claim to be evangelicals, that breaks down into about 4,100,000 local congregations around the world that are evangelical. 4,100,000 congregations that meet around the world. Now, we're going to assume that each of those congregations have at least one pastor. Now, at this church, there may be multiple pastors. At my church, there are multiple pastors. Throughout the U.S., most churches have multiple pastors. But what I have found as we travel the world and we visit churches in in other countries, that is usually not the case. Most churches around the world only have one pastor. Um, So we'll just take that number, which means there are about 4,100,000, more or less, pastors in the world today that are evangelical pastors. Now, taking that number... And using another stat that Barna, the Barna, or not Barna that um, Gordon Conwell came up with, it shows us that 85. They say that 85 percent of pastors around the world have little or no theology, formal theological education. And, and you think, well, that's that's hard to believe, and that's because we live in the country where there's a seminary or Bible college on every corner. And, and you and you look at there and you say that. Um, these people, don't, you know, do they really not have formal theological education? I've been here before, and I, I think I've shared the story about my friend Edgardo, um, one of my very best friends uh, in Costa Rica. And Agardo was very faithfully attending the church every time and just was faithful and knew God's word a good bit, never really ever been trained. The pastor of the church, for whatever reason, left and went to another church. And literally on his last day, Went to Agardo, took his Bible, and said, you know, you are very faithful in this church, and you're, you, you're studying well. Why don't you become the pastor of this church? Hands him the Bible, and then, and then left. So my friend Agardo was a pastor for eight years before I met him, and he had zero theological education. Okay, And I've seen that time and time again as we train pastors um, over in, in Eastern Europe and in Africa and so forth, where these, these men, they, just, they have no formal theological education. They just have a desire to... To study God's word. Uh, So, we have found this to be very true. 85% means 3,485,000 pastors around the world have little or no theological education. So, the question that we're going to address this morning, as we talk a little bit about our ministry and what we do, and as we read in Ephesians, is going to be the question why should pastors be trained for ministry? Now, that's a, we think it's a no-brainer type of a question. Of course, pastors should be trained, but it really needs to, we really need to take the time and, and look, look at that. I'm going to read for you Ephesians 4. This is where we're going to be at today. Ephesians 4, we're going to look at um, verses 11 through 16. Verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers... To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and stature and the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. So that we may no, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning. By craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In a little bit here, we're going to tear that passage apart. And, and try to answer the question, why should we train pastors? Let's, uh, let's, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for what the Apostle Paul is, is writing here in the book of Ephesians. I pray now as we begin our, our morning and we begin to look in your word and study and we worship you for who you are, that you would open our hearts, open our minds to hear your word, to understand it, Lord. Help us to apply it in our lives each day. I ask all these things. <clears throat> In your name, amen. Well, good morning again. You guys can turn your Bibles eventually here to Ephesians 4. I want to share a little bit about, get a little bit of an update on our family and life uh, and what we do before we jump into to the passage of Scripture. Um, you guys have seen now my, my wife and my, uh, two of my four children. Uh, we are the McGinnises. We, uh, we served for nine years in the country of Costa Rica. And uh, I, I'm, I'm sure I updated you on this last year, but by God's grace and divine plan um, and with much kicking and screaming on our part, we moved back uh, from Costa Rica in, in, in February of 2020 uh, because I, I became the director of our organization called TriM, which I'll explain in a minute. And uh, we weren't really happy about moving back home because we had some stuff we needed to finish up, but God brought us back kicking and screaming for of course, the pandemic to hit in March. Um, so God is m- so much better of a planner than what we are. And uh, we made it home. We actually live here in Mattawan. We're on Main Street, Matawan. Uh We are the house that has the uh, newly painted porch. So if you drive by and there's a white painted porch, that's ours. Um, we are able to do that a week ago, finally. Uh, but that's where, where we live, right there on Main Street, Mattawan. And uh, we have actually owned that house prior to leaving. Uh, I served for six and a half years with Pastor Don at Berean Baptist Church, Um, and then God moved us from there to the country of Costa Rica, and now back here. Uh, I have, we have four children. Last summer was a crazy busy summer for our family. Uh, We had two of our daughters get married last summer. Uh, Megan, on the top there, Megan is our second oldest daughter, and uh, she was married in May, like the end of May, and uh, six weeks later, my, second, or my oldest daughter, uh, the second one in our family to get married, was Katie on the, on the bottom down there. And uh, Katie was married. Zach is Megan's husband. They live here. He works for, for Zoetis and lives here in Kalamazoo. Katie married a uh, U.S. Marine and, uh, who is now, as of a couple days ago, off for four months doing training, which means I'm one of those dads now whose daughter is moving back in our home for four months while her husband is training. And we will have Katie starting mid this week, mid middle of this week, until sometime in October, uh, which we're excited to have her have her home. Uh, But that's our family. Uh, Ireland and JD then are still at at home, and uh, they're both doing school through Liberty uh, Liberty University Liberty Academy online is how they're doing their education. And uh, it's a little bit about our family. Um, Our the mission as we look at 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 Tri here. Um, the mission of Tri, I'm going to do the next slide there, should go back one, I think. There we go. Our, our mission is to assist national pastors uh, and leaders to be better able to teach, excuse me, be able to reach their people by teaching, equipping, and strengthening them, especially in areas of limited access to traditional missions and wherever there is a critical need for true biblical teaching. So we really focus in on the teaching, equipping, and the strengthening of pastors, and we do this in areas of the world where maybe it is just not readily available. It can, maybe it's not available because it, it's it's out in the middle of nowhere, and it's just not people don't go there. And we have several locations. I was just in Nepal, and the place where we go in Nepal takes about three days to get there. Um, it is a I was telling Jay just recently it's a very uncomfortable trip to get there love being there love teaching it but the whole trip itself is really really hard physically um but we are in in parts of the world where it's just hard to get to or maybe maybe it's not as hard to get to but theological education is not readily available at an affordable way for pastors to go to it so that is what we do as a ministry uh uh, trium has been around really since uh the early 90s was kind of formed in nine in 1990 in uh, 1992, we held our first module in the area of, of Romania. Um, I became the director of our ministry several years ago. Uh, we were still living in Costa Rica, and in 2019, I believe, um, I had traveled about 125, 130 days out of the year I was out traveling. Um, as the director, I, I go to the countries and I, I get to teach. We do a what's called a player-coach model where we lead and we actually do the teaching ourselves as well. Um, but I get to teach as well as um, observe and see what's going on, making sure that our modules are doing the way, functioning the way they should, um, as well as as we open up new countries, I'm usually one of the first guys in there to, to see if that's even, even possible. Uh, like this coming year, I, I will do a, a good bit of teaching. Uh, between now and the end of fall, uh, I'm, I'm going to be heading to Central Asia the end of August I'll be back in Costa Rica with my son. I'm taking him with me. Uh, Costa Rica in September. I'll be in Rwanda, Africa, and then in the Mediterranean after that. So I, I'm pretty stacked. Uh, the, way, the way we do it, it's kind of, we're very atypical missionaries. We're very, very busy, and then it's a lull, and it's very, very busy, and then a lull. And in these lulls, the, the downtime, uh, we prepare and we train and we study, uh, and I get very antsy at that point. And just about the time I'm ready to be, just drives me crazy that I'm crazy busy for about three months, and then it's slow again. So we're trying to, trying to enjoy the slow times uh, because it, it, it gets pretty busy. Um, my responsibility is a lot, as much of what a director would do, is I get to open up countries, get to observe things, I get to speak at opportunities like this, and, um, and also get to recruit uh, team members for our, for our ministry. So where are we serving? Uh, the ministry of, of Triumph. We, we serve throughout uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, we are in primarily in, um, and I use that term we are in loosely, we are primarily in Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, all of these regions right now that, is, that we are not in right now. Um we, uh, we have had the opportunity to help fund some pastors that we work with right there in, in the Ukraine. Uh, we've been able to give about 70, a little more than $70,000 into the hands of the pastors to help them uh, in, in some pretty difficult parts of that, of that world, of that region. Um, as well as we are able to do some training, theological training in Russia right now. And by doing that, we're able to use Zoom and national pastors that are, uh, that are doing a lot of teaching for us as well. Um, and then we opened the country of Belarus pretty much just quick enough for it to, to close back down for the time being. So w- that's all in God's hands, and we are continuing to grow and expand, and we'll, we'll let God continue to develop that. We are in the, in the Mediterranean, uh, in, in a particular country over in the Mediterranean uh, that is relatively limited access. Um, we are throughout Central and Southeast Asia, uh, in several countries there. I just mentioned we are in Nepal. We have six cohorts, uh, six teaching module locations in the country of India. Uh, We have four in Nepal. We're opening two more in Nepal. That's part of the region that we're really growing and and expanding in. We're in about nine countries, or nine, yeah, nine individual countries in the continent of Africa. Uh, And we're in in those countries in in varying levels. And then we're in Central and North America. Uh, Of course, we were in Central America and Costa Rica. We opened that country. And I continue to go back and teach there. And in North America, we really focus on uh, American Indian reservations in North South Dakota and in Minnesota. Those are areas that we, we do a lot of theological education and training. Um, currently, or at least in, in 2021, and it looks like it's heading that way for 2022, we have about 500 students that, we, that are within our training in, in a given year. Um, and that gives us the opportunity that it's 500 pastors, or key leaders, men who are heading to become a pastor. Um, About 500 or so is is where we focus on each year. There are seven of us that do what I do. There are seven um, teachers that travel. We all live here in the States. We all travel and cover multiple countries um, to be able to, to provide theological education. I mentioned earlier we want to talk a little bit, and we're looking in the book of Ephesians, on why should... We train pastors. Why should a, a pastor be trained for ministry? Why is that important? And we're going to tear apart uh, the, uh, Ephesians 4 here in that process, and we'll do it kind of little chunk by chunk here. Um, and I have really three main points that we're going to walk through, and then after we're doing the three points, we're going to try to draw some application for us even here, to, here today. Let me, uh, let me open our time in prayer. And before I did, I, I really wanted to say something totally off topic. Um, I really appreciate your guys' singing. I really appreciate, I mean, I, of course, I appreciate Dave um, and, and the, the worship that we have here. Um, we get the opportunity to travel and see a lot of churches, and, and I'm not try, we try not to judge churches. Um, but you can tell a lot by, by how a church sings. You really can. You can see a lot about the spirit and the attitude of of the church itself by those who participate. And to look around and to see the older, the younger, I mean, just belting it out was a very great encouragement to our family, to to myself. And uh, I just really appreciate you guys and and your your heart in that. Let's open our time in prayer. Lord, Paul says a lot about the pastor. And Paul says a lot about uh, the role and the function of the pastor, Lord. We think about uh, what, what you are doing around the world with men who uh, are leading congregations, leading churches today uh, in, in times and in places of peace as well as in turmoil. And we think of what, what a pastor needs in the area of, of education and, and training, Lord, and I just pray Lord, you help us to direct our, our attention today on that. To focus in on your word and see what it says. And pray, Lord, that we would be an encouragement to our pastors as well here in the United States. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. The first thing I want to bring out is that the pastor is a gift to the church. The pastor is a gift to the church. Go ahead and do the next first slide here. There we go. We've talked a lot. I'm sure you guys have talked here as a church as well about spiritual gifts. And there's a lot. The scripture says a lot about different spiritual gifts that we have. Um, the book of uh, Romans, Romans 12, talks, lists, makes a list of several spiritual gifts. It talks about, by the way, we're not going to have a lesson here on spiritual gifts. That's all. I'll let Pastor Don deal with all of that. But prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. These are gifts that have been given to you and I, to the church, for the building up of the body of Christ, for edification. 1 Corinthians 12 goes and talks about words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of uh, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, uh, tongues, and and the interpretation of tongues. There are gifts that have been given to the body of Christ for you and I to have that help us function well in the body. Little side comments here. If, um, if you're a follower of Christ, you have been given a gift, a spiritual gift that is intended to be used in this church. And the question I have is, are you using those gifts? Are you plugged into a ministry? Are you doing that? Because that's why, that's why God gave you those gifts. Not for yourself, but that you can be using that for the building up Of the body of Christ. And along with these gifts that we have all been given individually to help build up the body of Christ, God gave us gifts in the church in the form of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to establish the church and to build it up and edify it. One of the gifts, or two of the gifts given to the church, are the apostles and the prophets. Ephesians, two. Paul had just written previously. Ephesians two twenty, Paul says he's talking about the church built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Now there are there are some uh, churches and and denominations that that talking that they have these apostles, people who claim to be an apostle. And I was in Latin America for years, and we saw a lot of those guys. Um, and really, this is not what I think we're seeing here in this, in this passage. You have the apostles being someone who, who uh, of course, had, had witnessed and saw, knew Jesus Christ firsthand and saw the resurrected Christ. And you have Jesus, Jesus had his, his disciples, his 12 apostles that, that were around him and that, that were part of his ministry. And as we read throughout the book of Acts you begin to see how these apostles carried on the ministry of Christ when Christ ascended into heaven, carried on that ministry to really form what we know of as the church today. So they were saying, hey, look at Jesus Christ and what he did, and they began to meet and form these congregations. Prior to that, you have over here, you have a group that were called the prophets. And the prophets, we, think of, we tend to think of more of the Old Testament prophets. The prophets looked towards this guy called Messiah, who we now know as Jesus Christ. And the prophet, and the and major, minor prophets, and throughout Scripture, we see these prophets that were there, and they said, this guy is coming, Messiah is coming to rule and to reign, and then Christ comes, now the apostles are saying, this is who it was. This is who the, the Messiah, that's Jesus Christ. And this is the foundation, the bedrock that we have for the, for the church that we know today. The next group you have is listed here are called the evangelists. Now, uh, evangelists, I think we've all heard of evangelists. We think of maybe D.L. Moody. We think of, of Billy Graham. Um, I, I, I don't know if you realize this, but I'm a pretty cool guy. And To prove that I'm a pretty cool guy, uh, when I was in high school, uh, I, took, I took a date, who is now my wife, so it worked, on a date to a Billy Graham crusade. That's how cool I am. I'm just saying, you know. So kids, take your notes, take, take, your, take your dates to the Billy Graham. No, he, not not possible anymore. But uh, I did that, and we think of evangelists in, the, in those areas, right? There's guys who stand, the televangelists, the guys who stand there proclaim the word of God, and eight million people come forward, it seems like. And, you know, that's what we think of an evangelist. Um, and that's really not, again, what we see here. Uh Acts 21 talks about a guy by the name of Philip the Evangelist, and Paul's traveling, and he stays in the house of a guy by the name of Philip the Evangelist. And what Philip was doing was, Philip was was going into other regions and was sharing the gospel and establishing uh, these churches and so forth there. Kind of what we think of modern-day missionaries would do. So he gave the apostles and he gave the prophets to give this foundation. He gave these evangelists, these guys that had the entrepreneur-type attitude that goes out, and, and it really expands the reach of the gospel in that area um, to places that maybe they don't know the gospel. So you see the church now beginning to grow. And then you have the third group here. You have the, the pastor teachers. Now, there's two ways to look at this. You can say that he gave, um, he says he gave the shepherds and the teachers. Or you can say he gave the shepherd teachers. And that word shepherd is where we get the word pastor, by the way. And I really feel, as you look at it, you study it, it's not talking about pastors and teachers. It's talking about the pastor-teacher. That that's what the function, that's what the role of the pastor does, is, is he is the pastor and the teacher together. And we know uh, what pastors do and, and, and the gift that they, that they are to the church and that they train and equip and that they build up the body of Christ. There is a, uh, an article, and I don't have it with me right now, um, there's an article that a, a pastor that we work with in the country of Ukraine, and uh, this is during the time uh, right at the beginning when, when the, the Russian invasion happened, and uh, he wrote an article which was later published by the Gospel Coalition, and it was the, the article was titled something along the lines of Why We Choose to Stay, and the whole article that he, that he writes about and that he, he, he's, he's talking about is, is in the midst of all of this war and battles and people are fleeing, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, why they chose to stay in Kyiv or in one of the outskirts of, of the capital city, Kyiv, why they chose to stay there so that their church, they could be the example for their church, and their church can be the hands and feet of God in a very difficult situation. And uh, I, I, we have several friends. I was actually able to go over. I was in Ukraine in December. Um, and everything happened about, I believe it was in March when everything really started to get bad. Um, and we have a lot of good friends in that region. And I remember, you know, when all this was, was coming down, texting back and forth with them and seeing who's staying and who's going. And I have many, many friends now who have fled or in Poland and in France. And then we have several friends who are still right there in the capital city. And uh, one pastor in particular um, is, he, he, uh, he opened up his home to people who would be interested in fearing. And at one point in time, he had 25 Individuals living in his home, right there in the capital city of Kiev, and their church continues to go on and on. And I, I have a, we have videos of pastor friends of ours who you could hear the, the, uh, the, the sirens in the back from the, from the bombing raids. The sirens going off in the back of church while the church is singing and worshiping and meeting on Sunday. Just crazy, difficult. I can't even imagine. Can't even fathom what that would be like to make that decision, saying. You know what? We're going to do it. My wife, my kids, we're going, to, we're going to do it. We're going to stay here because that's where God has us. And you look at those guys and you say, that is a gift to the church, clearly. Hard leadership stance that they make. And some, some left, and that's, and that's good too. They, they prayed about it and they, they made their decisions. God gives these pastors to the church as a gift. The second comment that I want to make about this is that a pastor, or the pastor, is to equip the church. The next verse we have here in, in, verse, in verse 12, it says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The role of the pastor, is, it, the pastor is definitely a gift given to the church, but he's given to the church with a purpose. His job is to equip or to train, to get the people ready to do the work of the ministry. This idea of equipping is the idea of completely furnishing. Um, we, we watch a lot, probably too much, um, HDTV, all right, uh, we, we, you know, we moved back to our home and uh, from from uh, Costa Rica. Our home was newly remodeled by by our church and was a huge blessing to our family. So we like, you know, we had the nice clean walls and kind of a new blank slate to go off of. And we're watching HGTV and, you know, you, if you ever watch the, those renovation shows where they, they totally remodel this house, but then they go through and they like, put this particular couch and they're matching furniture and they're matching curtains and then they get the picture just right and they're getting this perfect vase that was just a great deal at this thrift store and now it looks perfect right there and they're they're staging the house for the people to come back in and see it that's what the idea of equipping it is to get it ready to get fully equipped fully ready to be viewed and to to function it's kind of like parenting you know as parents we should be equipping our children for adulthood and for the rest of life. Uh, we've we got two adult daughters now that are married, and it's kind of funny. My wife, uh, when our daughters turned, turned about 16 or so, so it's, it's Ireland's time here. Um, she just keeps pushing it off. Uh, but when they turn about 16, they have a responsibility, the, our, our girls do, and that's to make um, dinner at least one, for one day of that entire week. And uh, it starts off, you're having a lot of mac and cheese, and then it goes to more complicated type meals. Um, but that's kind of, and, and the idea was, my wife, you know, helps them in this process, of course. And um, my, the idea was, we want our daughters to be able to cook, and to be able be able to do that. And you know, we have two son in laws that are very thankful for that at this moment. Um, but it's kind of funny because we get the phone calls from uh, Katie, our oldest daughter. She's like, Mom, I have this, this, and this. What can I make for dinner? <laughs> And Johnny will walk through with them and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it and stuff. But the idea is we equip our, our children so that when they enter into adulthood, they can function. That's, that's what our role as parents is. You know, we, we, yes, we love our children. Yes, we want to have them there. I'm glad Katie, our daughter, is moving back with us for four months. It's going to be fun. We, but we didn't, we didn't train them so that they could live with us. We raised them so that they can go out. And that they, they can do what they, what they were intended to do. That's what the pastor does, and that's what the idea of of equipping is. A pastor's job is to train the church, the saints, to do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up. The problem is when you you go around the world and you see a lot of churches, a lot of times I see a lot of totally exhausted pastors because the pastors are doing everything within the church. And that people come on Sundays, they listen to the message, they sing, they go home, and then they come back the next Sunday, and then they sing, and they listen to a message, and they go home, and they don't do anything. That's not how the pastor is to function. The pastor is to train you and I so that we can do the work, and we can minister in the body of Christ, particularly in the church. The problem is, with our culture, is we want what is easy, and what demands the least amount of effort. I love technology, okay? I'm a, I'm a, like it or not, I'm an Apple guy. I love the fact you plug it in and it all works, okay? So I, I like easy. I like that. And the problem is, is that creeps into how we function here as the, the body of Christ. And I don't know if it's, we're, we're, we continue to try to figure this out. I don't know if it's the COVID, the post-COVID culture, or if it's the culture of the United States before we move back, and we just don't realize it. Um, but it, it's, it seems like much of many of us, we just don't want to do stuff. You know, the idea of, of watching church on TV, um, there's parts of that was really good and needed during, during COVID, but that gets, it's it gets easy to do that. And we need each other. Talk about that in a minute. Until when? Verse 13 tells us. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God until mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. So the pastor is to be training and equipping until we all attain unity of the faith. Now, unity is kind of a hard thing for us right now in the culture that we live in. So that alone tells me this is going to be a while. And then it says, to the knowledge, understanding who God is at, at, a, at a, a very deep level, to mature manhood. The pastor is to be doing this until you and I, till we are mature and able to handle these things. So this is a task that's going to take the pastor a long time in doing. This is not just a one and done sort of thing. So the, the pastor is to equip the church. The pastor is a gift to the church The last thing here in the the remainder of of this is that the pastor is to protect the church. The pastor has a responsibility, a role of protection over the body of Christ. Verse fourteen, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by crafty and evil, sorry, and deceitful schemes. So Paul begins here and says, so that we're not like children. Now, I, I, uh, I've worked with youth and adults, and I did a little bit with children. Children's not my ministry, not my forte. Um, I, I do it. I, of course, we, we do it often, but um, not, not my biggest strength. Um, but I have learned around the world, um, I do like it to an extent because children are relatively gullible. And uh, all I, I, I'm all over the world. I'm in areas where they don't speak my language, and uh, my dad taught me a magic trick a long time ago. And I, I, I mean, kids are around, you just all you just got to do is like that. And you know, like, Ugh. and I've got him in there and I'm able to hold there. You know, why am I able to do that? Well, first of all, I practice a lot on how to do it. J, JD's actually better at this than I am. Um, it's a McGinnis thing. We, we learn it. And um, it's because they're easily tricked. They're easily tricked. And we are not to be like that as followers of Christ. We hear something, we hear a pastor or a speaker say something, and we're like, oh, that sounds great. And we start going over this way, and it makes a lot of sense. But we're really, when we dig down deep into the theology of it, you're like, that does not land with Scripture. That does not, that does not go with what Scripture says. So we need to be the people who are not easily tricked like a child. And then it talks about basically like, being like bobbing in the water, following the currents and the waves with the wind blowing. It's like, it's like taking a, and Jay we talk a little bit about fishing here, it's like taking a bobber, a cork, and throwing it out in the middle of the water. And you just watch it going, and it'll go wherever the current goes. The wind blows, it moves over here. And that is the world we live in today, and that is the United States. We follow the next coolest thing and the thing that sounds the greatest without really digging into what does this really mean. And we as believers, as followers of Christ, we are not to be like that. And it is the pastor's, one of the, one of the responsibilities of the pastor is to protect us, to be able to help us to open our eyes and say, hey, think about this. That's probably not the best book to be reading or the, the, probably not the best way to do this particular thing. Winds of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness and deceitful schemes. These are the words that the Apostle Paul uses here. Part of the pastor's job is to protect the church from the things that may sound or look good. They may look cool, but in reality, they are man's twisting of scripture for the sake of relevance and convenience. I mentioned earlier about online church. Now, I I like that I can watch services online. Um, I've had the opportunity to watch my home church, to watch their services on five different continents. Okay, so I appreciate that. Um, to be able to, to tune in and be able to catch a service. I don't miss on what's going on in our, in our current services as well as it's just encouraging and I, and I really enjoy that. And I, I've talked with many pastors and the funny thing is it's not just here in the U.S., all over the world, churches, I mean, in Nepal, in India, in Africa, churches at one level or another, they've had to move to an online format during COVID so that their people could at least tune in or listen in on, the, on their phones or whatever and be able to hear what's going on. And now the biggest struggle that pastors have is getting people back into our churches, getting them back here, because it is convenient to watch a service in my pajamas in my home. And yet we need this, and I'm preaching to the choir because we're all here. We need each other. We need to be able to see each other, to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable. How was your week? What's going on? How can I pray for you? That that, that rubbing of shoulders, the iron sharpening iron, we need that to be here together. And that is one of the areas that I know many pastors are wrestling with today. How do we address this within our church to bring people back into here so that we can protect them from the idea of we need each other. We need fellowship, biblical community. That has to happen. The pastors I know, they take this role of, of protection very, very seriously. I don't know any pastor that I work with that I've worked with at an intimate level that just kind of blows this one off. It says in... Um, Jump on down here. In Hebrews 13, 7, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as, they, as those who will give an account to God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that, uh, th- 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 for that will be no advantage to you. It says, For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account to God. Your pastors stand before God on how we are doing as a church. It's an important task, and they take that very seriously. Verse 15, Ephesians 4.15, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him that is the head of Christ. From him the whole body joined together and held by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly in the church, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the goal here of the pastor is to see the church equipped, working properly, and growing up itself in love. That is the goal of what a pastor is to be doing. So, ask the question again. Why should the pastor be trained? Why should the pastor be trained for ministry? We're going to see that um, in Ephesians 2. .2. Go ahead and turn over, if you would, just briefly. Um, Ephesians, I don't think there's a slide for this one here. Um, Ephesians 2.2, this, I'm sorry, not, not Ephesians, 2 uh, uh, Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of, of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is writing Timothy in 2 Timothy, his, his son in the faith that he has mentored, that he has worked with, and he says, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust this to faithful men who will in turn be able to teach others also. That is what we are doing. That is why pastors need to be trained, because it is the pastor's job to reproduce within this local congregation, to find men and women and people he can pour into who will then in turn pour into their families, and pour into others as well. Why do we as a ministry do what we do? We train and equip pastors so that they can go on and and train and equip their church. I want to kind of hit these slides at, at random here. Each of these men in these slides, and I got like four of them here, each of these men in these slides, they represent a church, and they represent a church that is facing challenges. They're facing challenges, they're facing problems, they're facing struggles. Many of these men must stand for truth in a very difficult place. And some of these men will end up giving their lives for the truth of the gospel. I I know most, if not all, of these guys on all of these pictures. And they, they serve in difficult places, and they do what it takes to edify and to grow the body of Christ. And that is why we train pastors for ministry. It is our goal to equip them so that they can in turn train and equip their churches to do the work of the ministry. Wrapping it up here, application. Two questions I want you to ask. One, do you see the pastor as a gift? Do you see biblically the pastor, the role of pastor as a gift, let alone your pastors as a gift? Second question, do we recognize his role, the pastor's role, as an equipper and a protector. As an equipper and a protector. Hebrews 13:17, Obeying your leaders, submitting to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will give an account. Do we respect them? Do we honor them? Do we pray for them? Our pastors are not perfect, but last time I looked around and checked, neither are we. And they need to be given grace and mercy as well, just like you and I do as well. I want to end our little slide here with some pictures of our families, uh, our family over the last several years. Uh, this was when we started, and this is kind of where we're at now. God has been good to our family uh, as we started doing missions. Now, just about 12 years ago, we began, uh, be- began doing missions. We want to thank you guys for your role that you have played in that. Um, Recast has been a good, faithful supporter for us over the years. And uh, the monies that, are, that, that this church provides for us goes towards the equipping of these pastors in all the different regions around the world. And we thank you for that. We're going to transition now into a time as we, look to, as we look towards communion and the idea of doing the Lord's table. And I want to pray for that um, as we think through the role that Christ played in our lives. Because we, we train pastors all over the world who are meeting with believers all over the world. I, I really like the song Dave, Dave's Write, that last song of that first set, just about my favorite song now. The idea of, uh, 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 of worshiping God and how we are all together worshiping, to God, worshiping the Lord. And it is so much fun. I, I have a really fun job in that I get to see all the different uh, nationalities, all the different parts of the world praising and worshiping God for who he is and the impact that the gospel has had on their lives. We're gonna reflect on that in a few minutes here. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son who died on the cross for our sins. I pray, Lord, you now help us to be focused on the sacrifice that he gave, celebrate that we, that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. I pray for our friends and our pastors around the world who are faithfully serving you. Pray for your protection over them and their congregations as well. As they, many of them, are doing the same thing right now, recognizing and, and remembering the sacrifice that your son gave. I ask all these things in your name. Amen.